Act One of The Princess of Alice by Moliere, translated by Henri Van Loon, eighteen twenty to eighteen ninety six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dramatis Personae. Ifitas, father of the Princess of Ellis. Read by Alan Mapstone. Euryalus, Prince of Ithaca. Read by Kurt. Aristomenes, Prince of Messina. Read by Thomas Peter. Theocles, Prince of Pylos. Read by Algy Pag. Arbates, Governor to the Prince of Ithaca. Read by Alan Mapstone. Lycus. Attendant on Iphitus, read by Jim Locke. Moron, the princess's fool, read by Todd. The Princess of Elis, read by Abahi. Aglanta, cousin to the princess, read by Lydia. Cynthia, cousin to the princess, read by Eva Davis. Phyllis, attendant on the princess, read by Sonia. Aurora, read by Katarina Glovala. Lysiscus, a huntsman, read by Andrew James. First musician, read by Eva Davis. Second musician, read by Devora Allen. Third musician, read by Jim Locke. First whippers in. Read by Nemo. Second Whippers In. Read by Alan Mapstone. Third Whippers In. Read by Jim Locke. Seder. Read by Nemo. Tursis. Read by Alan Mapstone. Clement. Read by Tricia G. Shepherd. Read by Alan Mapstone. Shepherdess, read by Devora Allen. Stage Directions, read by Adrian Stevens. The Princess of Ellis, La Princesse d'Elide. First Interlude. Scene 1, Aurora. When love presents a charming choice, respond to his flame, O youthful fair. Do not affect a pride which no one can subdue, Though you've been told such pride becomes you well. When one is of a lovely age, Not is so handsome as to love. Breathe freely sighs for him who faithful loves, And challenge those who wish to blame your ways. A tender heart is lovely, But a cruel maid will never be a title to esteem. When one is fair and beautiful, Not is so handsome as to love. Scene 2 Whippers in and musicians. Whilst Aurora was singing these verses, four whippers in were asleep on the grass, one of whom, called Lysiscus, represented by Monsieur de Molière, an excellent actor who had invented the verses and the whole comedy, was lying between two whilst the third was at his feet. The other huntsmen were Messrs. Estevel, Don, and Blondel, musicians of the king, who had admirable voices and who awoke at Aurora's call, and, 
as soon as she had finished, sang in recitativo. Hello, hello, get up, get up, get up. Everything must be prepared for the hunting match. Hello, get up, get up quickly. Day to the darkest spots imparts its light. The air distills its pearls on flowers. The nightingales begin their warbling notes, and with their little concerts thrill the air. Come, come, come get, get up, up, quick, get, get up. To Lysiscus, asleep. What is the matter, Lysiscus? What? You're snoring still? You, who promised to outstrip Aurora? Come, get up, get up quick. Everything must be prepared for the hunting match. Get up, get up quickly, quickly, get, get up. up, make, make haste. haste, get, get up. up. Lysiscus, waking. <sighs> Sounds you are terrible, Paul, as you open your throats early in the morning. Do you not see the light beams everywhere? Come, get up, Lysiscus, get up. Oh, let me sleep yet a little while, I entreat you. No, no, no get, get up, Lysiscus, get up. I only ask about a quarter of an hour. Not, not at, at all, all, not at all. Get up, get up, get up quick, quick, get, get up. up. Alas, I pray you. Get up. A moment. Get, get up. up. I beseech you. Get, get up. Oh. Get, get up. up. I. Get, get up. I shall have done immediately. No, 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 no. get up. Get up. Get, 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 get up. Everything has, has to be prepared, prepared for the hunting match. Quickly, get up. Make haste, get up. Well, be quiet, I shall rise. You are strange people to torment me thus. You will be the cause of my being unwell all day. For do you see, sleep is necessary to man. And when one does not sleep, one's fill. It happens that one is not. He falls asleep again. Lysiscus. 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 To the juice with these brawlers. I wish your throats were stopped with scalding porridge. Get up, get up, make haste, get up, quick, get up. Oh, how wearisome not to sleep one's fill. So ho ho. So ho ho. So ho ho. So ho ho. Ho 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 ho. Plague take the fellows with their howlings. May the devil take them if I do not give you a good drubbing for this. But what juiced enthusiasm possesses them to come and cast a wall in my ears at this rate? Get, get up. up. Again? Get, get up. up. The devil take you. Get, get up. Lysiscus getting up. What? Again? Was there ever such a passion for singing? Sounds I shall go mad. Since I am disturbed, I will not let the others sleep. I shall torment them as they have done me. Come, Soho, gentlemen. Get up, get up, quick. You have been sleeping too long. I shall make a devil of a noise everywhere. He shouts with all his might. Get up, get up. Get up! Come quick, Soho! Get up! Get up! Everything must be prepared for the hunt! Get up! Get up! Lysiscus! Get up! Soho! Ho, ho, ho! Lysiscus, having at length risen with the greatest difficulty, and having shouted as loud as he could, several horns and hunting horns are blown, which, together with the violins, begin an entree tune, to which six whippers in dance with great precision and order, whilst winding their horns at certain periods. Act One, Argument This hunt was prepared by the Prince of Ellis, who, being of a gallant and magnificent disposition, and desirous that the princess, his daughter, 
would think of marriage, to which he was very much averse, had invited to his court the princes of Ithaca, Messina, and Pylos, thinking that whilst hunting, which he loved very much, or during other sports, chariot races, and the like displays, one of these princes might perhaps please her, and so become her husband. Scene 1. Euryalus, Prince of Ithaca, in love with the Princess of Alice. Arbates, his governor, who, indulgent to the prince's passion, praises him in elegant phraseology instead of blaming him. Euryalus, Arbates. This dreamy silence, to which you have accustomed yourself so dolefully, makes you continually seek solitude. Those deep sighs which come from your heart, and that gaze so full of languor, certainly say much to one of my age. I believe, my lord, I understand the language. But, for fear of running too great a risk, I dare not be so bold as to explain it without your leave. Explain, explain, with all freedom, Arbates, these sighs, these looks, and this mournful silence. I give you leave to say that love has subjected me to its laws and defies me in its turn. I farther admit that you make me ashamed of the weaknesses of a heart, which suffers itself to be overcome. What, my lord? Shall I blame you for the tender emotions with which I now see you inspired? The sourness of old age cannot embitter me against the gentle transports of an amorous flame. Although my life is near its close, I maintain that love suits well such men as you that the tribute paid to the charms of a beautiful face is a clear proof of a beautiful mind, and that it is not easy for a young prince to be great and generous without being in love. It is a quality I admire in a monarch. Tenderness of heart is a sure sign that everything may be expected from a prince of your age as soon as we perceive that his soul is capable of love. Yes, that passion, the most beautiful of all others, draws a hundred virtues in its train. It urges the heart to noble deeds and all great heroes have felt its ardour. Your infancy, my lord, was spent under my eyes. I have seen realised the expectations formed from your virtues. I observed in you qualities which told of the blood from which you sprung. I discovered in you a fund of wit and brightness. I found you handsome, great, and noble. Your courage and your abilities shone forth every day. But I was concerned because I did not perceive any traces of love. 
now that the pangs of an incurable wound show that your soul is insensible to its strokes i triumph and my heart full of joy looks upon you as a finished prince if for a time i defied the power of love alas my dear arbatus it takes ample vengeance for it now if you knew the ills into which my heart is plunged you yourself would wish that it had never loved for this is the fate that awaits me i love i ardently love the princess of ellis you know that that pride which lurks beneath her charming aspect arms her youthful sentiments against love and that she avoids during this grand feast the crowd of lovers who strive to obtain her hand alas how little truth is there in the saying that the being we love charms us at first sight and that the first glance kindles in us those flames to which heaven at our birth destined our souls on my return from argos i passed this way and then saw the princess i beheld all the charms with which she is endowed but looked on them as one would look on a fine statue her brilliant youth which i observed carefully did not inspire my soul with one secret desire i quietly returned to the shores of ithaca without so much as recalling her to my mind for two years in the meantime the rumor spread to my court that she was known to entertain a contempt for love it was published everywhere that her proud spirit had an unconquerable aversion to marriage and that with a bow in her hand and a quiver on her shoulder she roamed through the woods like another diana loved nothing but hunting and caused all the young heroes of greece to sigh in vain admire our tempers and fate what her presence and beauty failed to do the fame of her boldness produced in my heart an unknown transport was born within me which i could not master her disdain so bruited about had a secret charm which made me carefully call to remembrance all her features looking upon her with new eyes i formed an image of her so noble so beautiful picturing to myself so much glory and such pleasures if i could but triumph over her coldness that my heart dazzled by such a victory saw its glorious liberty fade away it in vain resisted such a bait the sweetness of it took such complete possession of my senses that impelled by an invisible power i sailed at once from ithaca hither concealing my ardent passion under the pretense of wishing to be present at these renowned sports to which the illustrious iphitus father of the princess has invited most of the princes of greece but of what use my lord are the precautions you take and why are you so anxious to keep it a secret you love this illustrious princess you say and come to signalize yourself before her yet neither looks words nor sighs have informed her of your ardent passion i cannot for my part understand this policy 
which will not allow you to open your heart nor do i see what fruit can be expected of a love which avoids all modes of discovering itself and what should i gain arbates by avowing my pangs but draw down on myself the disdain of her haughty soul and throw myself into the rank of those submissive princes whose title of lovers causes her to look on them as enemies you see the kings of Messina and Pylos in vain lay their hearts at her feet. The lofty splendor of their virtues, accompanied by the most assiduous respect, is useless. This repulse of their homage makes me conceal in sad silence the warmth of my love. I account myself condemned in seeing her behavior towards these famous rivals and read my own sentence in the contempt she shows to them. And it is in this contempt and haughty humor that your love should see its brightest hope, since fortune presents to you a heart to conquer, which is defended only by mere coldness, and does not oppose to your passion the deep-rooted tenderness for some other engagement a heart already occupied resists powerfully but when the soul is free it is easily overcome and only a little patience is needed to triumph over all the pride of indifference conceal no longer from her the influence which her eyes have upon you openly display your passion and far from trembling at the example of others fortify yourself with the hope that you will be successful because they have been repulsed perhaps you may possess the secret of touching her obdurate heart which these princes have not and if through her imperious and capricious pride you should not meet with a more propitious destiny it is at least a happiness in misfortunes of this kind to see one's rivals rejected with oneself i'm glad to find that you approve a declaration of my passion by combating my reasons you delight my soul I wish to see by what I said whether you could approve what I had done. In short, since I must take you into my confidence, there is one who is to explain my silence to the princess. And perhaps, at the very moment I am talking to you here, the secret of my heart is revealed. This chase, to which she went, you know, this morning early, in order to avoid the crowd of her adorers, is the opportunity which Moron has chosen to declare my passion. Moron, my lord. My choice rather astonishes you. You misjudge him because he is a court fool, but you must know that he is less a fool than he wishes to appear, and that notwithstanding his present employment, he has more sense than those who laugh at him. The princess amuses herself with his buffooneries. He has obtained her favor by a hundred jests, and can thus say and persuade her to what others dare not hazard. In short, I think him fit for my purpose, 
He says he has a great affection for me, and having been born in my country, will assist my love against all rivals. A little money given him to sustain his zeal. Scene 2. Moron, represented by Monsieur de Moliere, arrives and being haunted by the remembrance of a furious wild boar before which he had taken flight in the chase, asks for assistance. Meeting with Euryalus and Arbates, he places himself between them for greater safety, after having given proofs of his terror and cracked a hundred jokes about his want of courage. Euryalus, Arbates, Moron Moron, Behind the Scenes Help! Help! Save me from this cruel animal! I think I hear his voice. Come to me! For mercy's sake, come to me! It is he! Where is he running in such a fright? Moron, appearing without seeing anyone. How shall I avoid this frightful boar? Ye gods, preserve me from his horrid tusks, and I promise you, if he does not catch me, four pounds of incense and two of the fattest calves. Meeting Euryalus, whom in his fright he takes for the boar from which he is flying. Oh, I am dead. What ails you? Oh. I took you for the animal, whose throat I beheld ready to swallow me. My lord, I could not recover from my fright. What is it? Oh, what a strange taste the princess has, and in following the chase and her extravagances, what foolishness we must put up with. What pleasure can these hunters find in being exposed to many thousand terrors? Now, if a man hunted only hares, rabbits, or young does, it would be sensible. They are animals of a very gentle nature and always run away from us. But to go and attack these unmannerly beasts, who have not the least respect for a human face, and who hunt those who come to hunt them, that is a foolish pastime I cannot endure. Tell us, what is the matter? Moron, turning round. What a whim of the princess to take exercise under such difficulties. I could have sworn she would play this trick. As the chariot race came on today, she must needs go hunt to show her open contempt for these sports, and to make it appear... But, Mum, let me finish my tale and resume the thread of my discourse. What was I saying? You were talking of an exercise under difficulties. Ah, yes. Well, then, fainting under this horrible labor for I was up at break of day, fitted out like a famous hunter, I slunk away from them all like a hero, and, finding a good place to take a nap in, I laid me down, and composing myself, already began to snore comfortably, when suddenly a frightful noise made me open my eyes, and I beheld, coming out from behind an old thicket of the leafy wood, a boar of enormous size, for... What now? Nothing. Do not be afraid, but let me get between you, for a reason. I may then be better able to tell you the whole thing. I was saying I beheld the boar, which, being pursued by our people, set up all his bristles with a hideous air. His glaring eyes darted only threats. His mouth, with an ugly grin, showed through the foam certain tusks, for those who ventured near him... 
I leave you to imagine it. At this terrible sight, I seized my weapons. But the treacherous brute, without the slightest fear, rushed straight at me, without my speaking a word to him. And you stood your ground? I was not such a fool. I threw down my arms and ran like a dozen. What? Having weapons and yet fly from a boar? That is not a valiant action, moron. I confess it was not valiant, but sensible. But if one does not immortalize oneself by some exploit... I am your servant. I had rather people would say, It was here that moron, by flying without much pressure, saved himself from the fury of a wild boar, than that they should say, here is the famous spot where the brave moron, with heroic boldness facing the furious rush of a wild boar, lost his life by a wound from his tusk. Very good. Yes. Without offense to glory, I would rather live two days in the world than a thousand years in history. Your death would indeed grieve your friends. But if your mind has recovered from its fright... May I inquire of the passion which consumes me? My lord, I will not dissemble with you. I have done nothing yet, not having had the opportunity to speak with the princess as I desired. The office of court buffoon has its prerogatives, but we must often turn aside from our free attempts. To talk of your flame is a delicate matter. It is a state matter with the princess. You know in what title she glories, and that her brain is full of a philosophy which wars against marriage and treats Cupid as a minor god. I must manage the thing skillfully for fear of arousing her tiger humor. One must be careful how to speak to great folks, for they are very ticklish sometimes. Let me manage it by degrees. I am full of zeal for you. I was born your subject. Some other obligations may also contribute to the happiness I design for you. My mother was esteemed handsome in her day, and was not naturally cruel. That generous prince, your late father, was dangerously gallant, and I have heard that Elpinor, supposed to be my father because he was my mother's husband, related to the shepherds that he was occasionally honored by a visit from the prince and that, during that time, he had the advantage of being bowed to by all the village. That is sufficient. Be that as it may, I intend by my labors. But here is the princess and two of your rivals. Scene 3. The princess of Ellis appears afterwards with the princes of Messina and Pylos, who show that their characters are very different from that of the prince of Ithaca, which procured for him, in the heart of the princess, all the advantages he could desire. This amiable princess did not show, however, that the merit of this prince had made any impression on her mind, or that she had so much as observed him. She always professed that, like Diana, she only loved the chase and the forests, and when the prince of Messina wished to mention the service he had rendered her, by rescuing her from a huge boar which had attacked her, she told him that, without diminishing in aught her gratitude, she considered his assistance so much the less considerable, 
as she, unaided, had killed many as furious, and might perhaps have overcome that one. The Princess Aglanta, Cynthia, Aristomenes, Theocles, Euryalus, Phyllis, Arbates, Moron. Do you upbraid us, madam, for saving your charms from this peril? For my part, I should have thought that to overcome the boar which was about to attack you so furiously was an adventure, not knowing of the hunt, for which we ought to have thanked our happy fate. But by your coldness I see plainly that I ought to be of another opinion, and quarrel with that fatal power of chance which made me take part in an affair that has given you offence. For my part, madam, I esteem myself very happy in having performed this action, for which my whole heart was anxious and, notwithstanding your displeasure, cannot consent to blame fortune for such an adventure. I know that, when one is disliked, everything one does displeases, but even were your anger greater than it is, it is an extreme pleasure, when one's love is extreme, to be able to rescue from peril the object of one's love. And do you think, my lord, since I must speak, that there would have been anything in this danger to terrify me so greatly? That the bow and arrow which I love so much would have been a useless weapon in my hands? And that I, accustomed to traverse our mountains, our plains, our woods, might not dare hope to suffice for my own defence? Surely I have made but little use of my time and the assiduous labours of which I boast, if, in such an emergency, I could not have triumphed over a wretched animal. At least if, in your opinion, my sex in general is unable for such actions, allow me the glory of a higher sphere, and do me the favour, both of you, to believe that whatever the boar of today may have been, I have conquered fiercer ones without your help, my lords. But, madam... Well, be it so. I see that your desire is to show me that I owe my life to you. I grant it. Yes, without you I had lost my life. I heartily thank you for your grand assistance and will go at once to the prince to inform him of the kindness with which your love has inspired you for me. Scene 4. Euryalus, Arbates, Moron Well, was there ever seen such an untamed spirit? The well-timed death of that ugly boar vexes her. Oh, how willingly would I have rewarded anyone who would have rid me of him just now. Arbates to Euryalus. I see, my lord, her disdain renders you pensive. But it ought not to retard in the least the execution of your plans. Her hour must come, and perhaps it is to you that the honour of conquering her is reserved. She must know of your passion before the race, and I... No, Moron, I do not wish it so any longer. Be careful to say nothing, and leave me to act. I have resolved to take quite a different course. I see plainly she is resolved to despise all who think to gain her heart by deep respect. And the deity who induces me to sigh for her has inspired me with a new way to conquer her. Yes, it is he who has caused this sudden change 
and from him I await its happy conclusion. May one know, my lord, by what means you hope? You shall see it. Follow me, and keep silence. End of Act One